Empire. Called the fake news the enemy of the people, and they are. It's a serious question. I, I appreciate your passion. I share it. I've addressed this question. I've addressed my personal feelings. And I want you all to know that we are fighting the fake news. You're listening to Just Ask the Question. Adventures in Reporting with your host, Brian Karam. Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. Like I said, with us is uh, Police Chief Tom Manger, former police chief in Montgomery County. Uh, and in case you don't know Montgomery County, it's uh, uh, borders the District of Columbia. It's a very diverse community, a large community. And for many years, um, Tom kept the peace there and uh, did a very good job at it. So, Tom, I guess I'll just ask you um, as we get into this, um, what, and since it is just asked the question, what happened in Minneapolis? Did the police do something wrong there, in your opinion? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think there, there were um, a number of things that, that came together uh, um, there. They, um, first of all, you have um, a, a, a history of issues between the Minneapolis Police Department and the African-American community. This wasn't the first um, incident that, that raised um, concern and, and certainly raised uh, anger uh, in the community about police actions. And what you had was clearly on video, um, the, the uh, uh, you know, a, a police officer just displaying callous disregard for a man's life. And, um, and, and, and so if, if, if you think that it's just, or if anyone thinks that it was just the African-American community that looked at that and thought, oh my God, this is, this is just horrible. Um, every good police officer looked at that and thought the same thing. I mean, I looked at it and I just, I, it broke my heart to, to see, you know, because I knew that the impact that it was going to have on police around the country. Um, yeah. We all get sort of painted with that broad brush. And, and, um, and unfortunately, um, in, in the case of Minneapolis, I think one of the things that made it worse was the fact that you had three other cops there who, who just stood there and allowed this to happen. And in fact, one of them, you know, was, was having this sort of sarcastic uh, uh, conversation with some of the bystanders. Standards, and um, all of which I think um, uh, indicated to the community that the that the police, you know, and, and certainly these police officers, but that the police didn't care, didn't care about this man's life, and and took it with with without uh, you know without any feeling whatsoever, and without and provocation. So, yeah, uh, well, and and so you know when you, when you have those kinds of uh, circumstances occur. Um, it's going to, I think, you know, the reaction that, that uh, the community in Minneapolis had and the support and reaction that we've had nationwide, in fact, worldwide, um, you've you, you got to understand that. What can police do um, or what uh, the uh, supposition is that uh, over the years that white supremacists have been allowed into the ranks of police departments across the country? Uh, A, do you think that's true? And B, if not, what is the problem? And and see if it is true. How do you stop that? Well, I think if you look, uh, you know, if you're talking about a hundred years ago, uh, you know, I, I absolutely, you know, there, right. there was little. Um, uh, I think little uh, uh, background uh, check being done, you know, on people who were being hired as police officers, and, and you know, you wanted the biggest, toughest guy and and you know and and i think in a lot of cases people who were basically bullies were hired to be cops and that's the last person you want wearing a badge so um you know but today um and, and of course one of the things that we need to continue to work on this is this is a, always a work in progress is our hiring standards you know what what are the criteria that we should look at um to to find someone who's suitable to be a police officer. And, and look, I, I can list off a dozen or more qualities that I'm looking for in someone to hire them to be a police officer. You know, you're looking for somebody that's smart, that's courageous, that's, that's you know, got a good work ethic, all those kinds of things. But you know that the, the two most important qualities that I want in a police officer, um, I want them to have empathy, true empathy for, and care for people. And I want them to be effective communicators. 
if I can if I can get somebody that has kindness in their heart, that has empathy, that is a good communicator, I can train them to be a good cop. Um, you know, and, and because those are qualities that you can't train. People either have those qualities or they don't. And so, um, I, I uh, you know, we we have refined our hiring standards, refined the, the, the uh, background uh, investigations that we do, the psychological evaluations that we do on people, so that we're, tr I think we do a pretty good job at weeding out those folks that have bias. Well, well look, we all have bias, but right. the, one of the things we, we train is, you know, hey, let's, let's identify the implicit biases that you have and make sure that they're not impacting the way you do your job. I mean, that's a whole training uh, uh, issue for, for many uh, police departments. But so, so, uh, but, but, so yeah, I just said, finished by saying that, that yeah. it's, um, uh, you know, if, if you can hire the right people and, and you invest in their training, you can typically, and, and of course the third leg of that stool is holding them accountable for doing their job the way it's supposed to be done. Um, you, you can, you've got good cops, but we're still recruiting from the human race. So I've yet to find the perfect person you know, uh, in terms of being a cop. And so, uh, so in answer to your question, um, we're hoping that we weed out uh, anybody that has those uh, those kinds of biases, the, the, you know, that, that bullying personality. We do not want them as cops. But we didn't always do a good job of doing that. And in this case, in Minneapolis, well, I mean, directly to the point, though, do you think that there are people that are racist, that are from the alt-right, from the far-right, who are trying to infiltrate police departments and become cops? I, I can tell you, uh, absolutely. I mean, we, we, I can tell you they apply to be police officers and have applied to, to Montgomery County to be police officers. But, you know, what, you know, I, but, you know, as part of the background investigation, you look at all their social, their, their social media past, you, you know, you talk to neighbors, you talk to friends, you talk to employers, all those kinds of things. And you can get a, a pretty clear picture about who somebody is. And the minute that you start seeing those kinds of tendencies, those kinds of comments, those kinds of, yeah, you know, this person's involved with this or that, or I heard him say this or that. Look, we have better, you know, we, we don't have to hire you, you know. So right. if we, we have better candidates who, you know, when you, we talk to those same people, you know, you get a picture of somebody who's, who seems like a pretty good person. So. Um, yeah, they, they, I think people still uh, uh, apply. Look, they go into the military, they go into, um, you know, police departments. Um, so you, you've got to be really diligent about, you know, making sure you, you, you identify those folks and don't hire them. So it, it, the root cause, I mean, at the beginning, you're, you're saying in order to stop what we're seeing, that we have to have better hiring standards. I, absolutely. You, you, you've got to start there because... Um, you know, uh, there's plenty to do once they are hired to, to make sure that they're good cops, but you got to start there because if you hire the wrong person, you're, you, you know, it's, it's an uphill battle. And, and look, one of the things that you're, you, you hear a lot about with regard to this case, I mean, the fact that the police chief in Minneapolis fired these guys, you know, two days after the incident, I got news for you. In most police departments in Montgomery County, I couldn't fire somebody two days in. I mean, the process to fire somebody yeah, um, is is much more cumbersome, and I mean you can take their badge and take them off the street, but you know to actually get rid of them is a very cumbersome process. So you that just that just uh, amplifies the importance of making sure you hire the right people in the first place. And look, this the guy, um, uh, the officer, you know, who had his knee on on this man's neck, he had what was it, seventeen or eighteen yeah. complaints in his career. I got to tell you, that is a red flag. You know, look. You know, any good police officer, you know, gets into situations where somebody might not like the way he's doing, he or she is doing something, and and you can get a complaint. You know, oh, they were rude. They, you know, they weren't helpful. You know, this or that. Um, but to get that many complaints, that that shows a, a real issue. I mean, I, look, did I, they I, miss I, it for forty did... years? And I can count on one hand the number of you know compl formal complaints against me, and and most of them. I, I was guilty. I remember the first complaint I had against me. It was a guy that I arrested and he complained to my sergeant that I used profanity um, and, and called him a profane name. And uh, I, he was absolutely right. Um, it, this was a, this was a, a, a young guy. He's a white male. He, he, you know, I had to chase him. I had to fight him and, um, you know, and finally got him under arrest. And I, 
let loose with something that my mother would not have been proud of. And when Sergeant asked me, says, did you say this and this, this? I said, yes, sir, I did. And, um, you know, and he said, you know, you can't do that. And I said, yes, sir, I, I know. And, and, and I took my, you know, took my uh, punishment. But it, that was not a trend for the rest of my career where everybody I arrested, I was, you know, uh, shouting profanities at or whatever. I mean, it's a case where, you know, I, I was the adrenaline and, and you know, right. everything else. And, and plus being, you know, being 22 years old, I mean, you're not, you don't have as much, you have as much, I guess, sense as you do right. when you're 32 or 42. <laughs> After you've been on the job for a while. 17 or 18 complaints, though, seems to me that there's a failure systemically to deal with this guy. So yes. what happened there and how do you solve that? So this is this is um, one of the cultural issues, and this is one of the things you know. If it, it, at some point when you say, "Hey, what you know, what do we, what do police departments have to do to to get better?" I mean, one of the things that we have to do is to really look at the culture of our of our agency. And if you've got a culture where you know somebody makes a complaint against an officer and the sergeant you know calls the person and and says, uh, you know, what's your complaint?" Listens to the person. And says, "Okay, well, you know, I'll talk to I'll talk to the officer, and you know, then gets back to the person who's making the complaint. Say, well, yeah, I talked to the officer. You know, he he says this, this, and this, and it becomes sort of, you know, he said, she said, sort of thing. And so the sergeant just sort of, you know, shrugs it off. Well, you know, you can't do that. You got to take these complaints more seriously. You have to, you know, real, you know, if it, 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 sometimes it's going to take more than one or two phone calls right. to actually find out what exactly happened." And the nice thing is with the with the, the body worn cameras um, that that many departments have, and of course, as you know, I, I um, yeah, got body worn cameras issued to my cops uh, years ago. Um, it really helps in terms of you know determining who who was at fault. Look, there's times when people complained, and you know, uh, uh, and, and you look at the at the uh, uh, video, okay. and, and and the sergeant. I remember one case, the sergeant invited the person who made the complaint in and said, I'd like you to watch this video. Person watched the video and realized that they were the ones that were, in fact, the, the, the you know, the, the transgressors. The yeah. And uh, the person just sort of looked at the sergeant and said, yeah, OK, well, I, I OK, I, I'm sorry I made the complaint. And that was the end of it. But you also have cases where, you know, you look at that video and you say, you know what, that officer didn't didn't uh, perform the way they were supposed to. They, they uh, didn't follow their training. They, you know, violated, uh, perhaps violated a protocol or something and you're able to deal with it. And look, Ryan, not every, um, um, not every complaint, not every mistake or, 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 or uh, error that an officer makes is a firing offense. Uh, you know, uh, no, but I would say that murder would, uh, I mean, if you take someone's life and, and that's absolutely, I mean, well, I can't understand. Look, I had cops that 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 stole. I had cops that, you know, uh, that that uh, assaulted people with, with, you know, and those are crimes. And in fact, not only do you get rid of that cop, you need to hold them uh, accountable, uh, you know, uh, criminally. And this is something that was, you know, what 30 years ago, 40 years ago when I started was unheard of. You never heard about a cop being prosecuted criminally. And so now I think that's one of the things that have changed. And it's still, look, like I said, it's a work in progress. But going back to the um, guy that had the seven, I mean, you can have he said, she said. Um, but when you have 17 complaints, at, at some point in time, doesn't the person who's supposed to be overseeing that guy, shouldn't that person be looked at as well? Because they're either turning a, a blind eye to the abuse or they're too stupid to understand the abuse or they don't care. Uh, I mean, there are a number of reasons to to look at it, but this guy took a guy's life and had 17 complaints and nobody did anything about it. Right. And, and, you know, it could be that he had, you know, uh, 10 different sergeants during his career. And like none of the sergeants, you know, if you talk to all 10 of them, they would they could tell you, oh, yeah, he was a pain in the neck. Yeah, he was a he was a, you know, uh, a loose cannon, you know, but. You know, it wasn't my problem. After I got transferred or whatever, it wasn't my problem. And this is the culture that needs to change. If you know of somebody that is is acting improperly, that is acting criminally, that is is doing things that they're not supposed to be doing, it's everybody's responsibility to do something about that. Uh, Yeah, I agree. So this this guy puts his, I, I mean, is there, I can understand if you're put in a life or death situation as a police officer having to defend yourself 
that someone could lose their life. I mean, we put police officers on in, in, in the front lines. They're in a dangerous position. We want to support them for what they do. Like I said, when I was a kid, you know, I was told, eh, if you got a problem, go to a cop. They're, they're there to help you. But today, with all that is seen and all that we see on a daily basis, it leads particularly people in minority communities to avoid police officers. I mean, they're afraid of, I mean, you have minorities and immigrants, especially, who are being um, abused by members of their own community, but they're afraid to come forward because they're afraid they're going to be, you know, uh, yanked out of the country. You have black people who feel like that there's an enormous amount of prejudice. And I saw protesters here in D.C., uh, African-American protesters getting angry at African-American police officers, calling them traitors. And then, uh, then I saw another African-American male go, well, what do you want? You want nothing but white police officers? I mean, there seems to be a, a you said communication is part of, there seems to be a lack of communication all the way around. How do you improve that? Uh, yeah, well, it's it's a lack of trust, really. I mean, yeah. and, it, and, and unfortunately, all the good things that, that help build trust. And I, and that was one of my, the biggest priorities that I had as a police chief was to do that outreach to the community. And, and I was out three, four nights a week. I was out on weekends talking to every church group, homeowner association, business group, you know, everybody, anybody that wanted to talk to me, I was there. And that was part of my job. And the purpose was to build trust, but it only takes one bad cop doing one bad traffic stop. It only takes you know, one one uh, uh, rude police officer or unhelpful police officer um, to to damage that trust. And this is again another cultural issue where you know you got ninety you know ninety nine percent of the, uh, the the department and the cops are trying to build trust with the community, but you got you know this this small group that that you know are, have this callous disregard that are harming trust with everything they do. And what gets, what gets the publicity? What get, what, what is, right. you know, is, is shown and what is noticed by uh, the community. And so this is, this is what is heartbreaking to every good cop is that um, the impact that what this, you know, what this officer did by, by, you know, kneeling on this man's neck and killing him with just callous disregard. And, and you could see it in his face that he could care less. I mean, and, and so, you know, this is what breaks the heart of every good police officer is that they're now judged uh, through that lens. And so, you know, and, and so when, you know, these uh, the, the protesters are looking at, the, at these cops that are lined up doing their job, trying to, you know, keep the city safe, trying to, to make sure that people can exercise their First Amendment rights, um, you know, safely, um, all they are put in that same uh, category as as the man who you know who killed uh, George Floyd and and so um, th this is what is is we, we got a long way to go to fix that but but it's got to be fixed this has to be fixed we cannot allow the the pain and despair of, of, of that ha that has been created by this this murder to uh, be the end be the last thing that we we talk about we have got to talk about how do we make this better? How do we improve it? And uh, and there are there are a number of things that police that police departments are doing already, and that they need to continue to do. And I think that the reaction from police chiefs around the country, police officers around the country, is an indication that their heart is is in the right place. They want to do the right thing. They want to fix this. Um, so how do you fix it? Can we get through the anger, you know, in the community to get to a point where they're you know, because it, it, it's 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 got to be a group effort. You got to have the community and the police working together. And how do you fix it? I mean, in a, in two minutes or less. <laughs> well, I, I, here's how you fix it. I mean, a uh, couple of things. One, uh, you've got to make the discipline process a public, uh, you know, like a civilian public. review board. Right now, complaint complaints against cops and the disciplinary process and internal investigations are all viewed as well. This is a this is a personnel action. Um, it's protected information, all that sort of thing. You know, at some point, this has got to be, you know, have a light shined on it, and people need to know what happens to bad cops. And if if what they're seeing is, look, you got cops that are that are uh, uh, doing bad things, and nothing's happening to them, um, we got a problem. That's that's, that's got to be fixed. And if the public can see it, it's more likely to get fixed. And so you that's would say, like a civilian review board. 
Um, you know, civilian, look, I, I can I can argue both sides of a civilian review board. What I'm saying is that the process public. itself needs to be open to the public. I mean, I, look, I, I have every confidence that um, the, the kinds of, of trial boards that I used to put together, especially when I was the, the police chief in, in Fairfax County in Virginia, uh, prior to Montgomery County, there were trial boards that I put together that were very good very, and came out with very just uh, recommendations and, and that, that I implemented as the chief disciplinary actions. And, um, you know, I would have, I would have, you know, if I could have, because it was protected information, if I could have told the public, Hey, here's what happened. Here's what we did. And, you know, I think the public would have felt a little bit better about the, the, the entire process, but when it's a secret and when this all is done in secret, um, the, the public has every reason to wonder it, you know, is 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 really is are, are cops being held accountable? And before we go to the break, I guess the last question I'll ask you is: um, We talk about this, and we sit here and we'll talk about this right now, and all the things that have to change. But for the minority communities, particularly for the African American community, there is an overwhelming feeling that um, Black lives don't matter to police. What do you do about that? You know, um, you've got to prove that they do, and you've got to prove the only way you demonstrate it is through your actions. And and again, unfortunately, you'll have a thousand cops do a thousand good things and treat people fairly and respectfully. Um, and if you have that one incident, you're going to have a lot of folks say, "See, nothing has changed." And and when in fact, so many things have changed, and so many things have changed for the better. So we've got to we've got to understand that it will always be a work in progress, that we'll, we, we will never have zero mistakes or zero bad right. things uh, that, you know, in terms of, of, of police, you know, what police do. It's always going to be, it's the same way, you you know, doctors, teachers, anybody, you know, journalists, there's nobody, no, there's no reporters, um, writers, that, yeah, there's no profession that is perfect. And so you, you have to acknowledge that there may be, but what if people see, that when those uh, that when that misconduct occurs, when when that police officer actually commits a criminal offense, that they in fact are held accountable swiftly and 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 justly, then maybe then people say, yeah, you know, things have changed, and yeah, they're not perfect yet, but y- you know, the, the 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 culture has changed, and that's that's where we need to get to. All right, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. Hi, we're back. I am Brian Karam. It's Just Ask the Question, and with us is uh, former Montgomery County Police Chief Tom Manger, and uh, as he said, former uh, former police chief in Fairfax and former head of the president, past president of the major cities chiefs association. That's, <laughs> That's a mouthful. <laughs> so, uh, Tom, you've been kind of on the front lines for a while, and I guess the question, uh, we've talked a little bit in the last uh, block about the problems of the individual uh, police officer and how to solve some of those problems, particularly in regards to the appearance of uh, racism. And uh, But how do we look, what problems do we have today? Let's look at the riots or the protests that occurred in Washington, D.C. recently. Um, the President of the United States came out at one point in time when cheering police and said, hey, uh, when you arrest them, don't treat them too nice. Um, which seemed as an encouragement for uh, for misconduct by many. And then tear gassing, and I was there. It was a peaceful protest. People were at Lafayette Park. They were loud. They were boisterous. And they were some saying some not nice things. But it was all, there was no violence other than mouth and people walking around. So, how do you deal, did we deal with the protests right or did we deal with them wrong and how would you have dealt with them? So, the, the, um, look, you know, we, you and I can have discussions and we have in the past had philosophical discussions right. about a lot of things. But I'll tell you something, what I'm an expert in, I mean, I, I look, I, I can give my opinions about a lot of things, about racism in America and all that sort of thing. But what I'm an expert in is police operations. And, yes. and I will tell you that um, had a had uh, Chief Pete Newsham 
been running that operation that you described, um, that would not have happened. Pete is an expert at dealing with these demonstrations, both peaceful and the ones that get out of hand. And the, the local DC police and the local Montgomery County police and, and you know local police around the country train this stuff and know what they are doing. We've learned through experience. Haven't always been, you know, as good at it as we are today, but you know, we they know how to, to, to not escalate things. And what happened there was that the uh, uh, it was the, the, the federal government side, the law enforcement side that escalated that unnecessarily. And when you have leadership, elected leaders, uh, you know, uh, basically saying, oh, you know, look, I'm a tough guy. We're going to we're going to be doing this. We're not going to tolerate that. We're going to we're going to flood the area with cops and we're going to stop this. All you're doing is challenging the protesters, you know, to oh, they say, OK, you, you think you're going to stop us? It just escalates it, unfortunately. And, and so. Well, that's human nature. Um, <laughs> well, it's human nature to, to, yeah, to respond to that sort right. of, of, of in, you know, uh, attempted intimidation. Um, so what cops, what local police and what Pete Newsham and, and Marcus Jones and all, all, you know, these, these cops, you know, these police chiefs that I worked with and, and have the greatest respect for, what they know is it's, it's like the Hippocratic Oath for doctors. First, do no harm. Okay. Let, let's, right. let's, let's get there and try and just calm things down, keep things safe, calm things down, deescalate. Let's not ramp it up. And, um, and you know, so the, the tactics that they use, look, if things do get out of hand, they know how to handle that as well. It's always, it's never pretty. It's very ugly to see. It's, and it's, it's just not good for anybody, but, the police, pro, nobody, the community, but the, the, they know, but the, the bulk of their training and, and, and their effort is let's not make things worse. Let's keep things peaceful. Let's allow these folks to express their anger, express you know, uh, all the emotions that they're feeling, let their voice be heard and, and, and let's do it in a, in, you know, in a constitutional safe uh, environment. And so um, what happened, uh, you know, at, at uh, Lafayette Park was unnecessary. And, and um, again, I, I think it, it, just, it just made things worse. Unfortunately, uh, unfortunately, I just think it made things worse. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I was not in the White House at the time, uh, that's a different story, but I was in Lafayette Park and saw what happened. And there were, I, I talked to a young woman who was scared to death. She was, she ran and didn't stop running until she got to I Street. I mean, she was, she was scared that she thought the police were going to kill all of them because they were black. Now, how do you, how do you go from when you seize that type of, of, of terror, when you, and you experience it yourself and you're doing nothing but, but marching how do you then go and deal with uh, in the future? It seems to me like you're doing nothing but spreading poison in the water. Yeah, and, th and that's one of the big challenges that uh, police departments, you know, once things do settle um, a little bit and, you know, people see that these cops are going to be held accountable, um, you know, uh, then conversations can start. And this is where you got to start to repair the, the trust that was harmed um, by, by this action. And, uh, it's that's a that's a huge uphill battle, you know. In, in some cases, you do have look. You have some cases that you know, uh, some folks that would say, yeah, yeah, you know, we I know not all police are bad, you know, but this this was bad, and, and there need to be reforms, and you know, so it's you're having a conversation with those folks is going to be a little bit easier than the folks that that basically say I don't trust the police. Every time I I have an interaction with the police, I I wonder if I'm going to survive that interaction trying to build trust with a person who, who believes that in their heart, that is, it's, it's a, just a huge uh, uh, task, but it's, it's a necessary thing to do. And, and we've got to work at it. We can't just allow this, this country to remain as divided uh, as it is. We, the police have a responsibility to build that trust so that people think, you know what, I think the cops are trying to do the right thing. I think they're being fair. I think, you know, they got a tough job to do, but, they're trying to do it the right way with respect for everybody. And until we get the community to believe that, um, we, we, we got it's our responsibility to build that trust. Well, it's kind of hard for, and, and I'm going to be honest with you, it's kind of hard for me to believe that overall as a reporter when I witness police clubbing reporters who are merely there recording the events. So that's, I've seen an escalation in 
confrontations with reporters who are merely there. Um, how do you, that's, that's an issue that has to be dealt with, I would think as well. It is. And, and, you know, I mean, as, as a, as a, um, a former police chief, my first question is, okay, which department was it? You know, if it's, if it's one of the federal law enforcement agencies, right. was it you know, a local law enforcement agency? And then you say, okay, why did this, why did this occur? Why? Because look, there, when, um, and as you know, we had, uh, we sent uh, uh, hundreds of officers um, uh, up to Baltimore City during the Freddie Gray protests. And our, our folks were given specific instructions about what to do, how to do it, about, you know, what access to take. If this occurs, this is what you do. I mean, all of those things were trained and they were, uh, the officers knew. Nobody had to react, you know, like, in, uh, you know, uh, nobody was taken by surprise about, okay, well, what do we do now? They knew, no matter, you know, they were taught in these circumstances, here's what you do. And so you had cops up there who were experienced, who, who were, by the way, who were selected for that for that responsibility for and, that assignment. and they dealt with this well I, I i give you high marks for that when we were in baltimore it was the montgomery county and prince george's county police that dealt with us i thought as reporters uh better than than the baltimore city police who as we've said before weren't actually trained for the situation but now you're yeah. I, I mean there's been a number of and you go to reporters without borders and and these people who keep the stats, there's an increased, and I say it starts from the top, the President of the United States calling me fake news and uh, enemy of the people. It kind of gives people the excuse to uh, access their inner idiot. And, and and instead of playing to the best of people, it plays to the worst. How do you deal with that? Because at the end of the day, for people to believe that the police are doing their job at some point in time, they have to also allow reporters to do theirs. Yes, and this is this is all in the training. It's and, and by the way, the the uh, you know one of the the, uh, the tactics that the police use that have, have has really been uh, one that has has uh, reaped a lot of benefit is if you know some we're going to have protests. We had we had dozens, if not hundreds, of protests in Montgomery County over different issues. You know, it was a host of issues. And, and most of the time, it wasn't people protesting against police. It was people protesting against something else, right. you know, the government was doing whatever. So what, what, we, what we did was we met with the, with the uh, uh, protest organizers and we said, okay, here's, here's what you can do. Here's where we're going to allow you to protest. Here's where you can't go. You know, if you want to be arrested, let's, let's choreograph how we, you know, we were going to do the arrests and that sort of thing. You know, if they, you know, cause a right. lot of people want to be arrested and, and that's fine, you know, um, <laughs> you know, but we would up all that stuff. So that same discussion needs to happen between the, the police and the media and say, okay, look, you all, you know, here, here's, here's what, um, you, we understand your responsibility. Here's what, you know, it, here's what you can do. There's no problem. You know, here's where we run into problems and have a discussion so that, you know, so that you as a reporter say, okay, well, well wait a minute. You know, I, I, you know, I don't necessarily want to be over in a, in an area for media. I want to be among the protesters, but, but I'm there doing my job, you know, uh, not, you know, so what, you know, how can I be treated differently than, you know, a, a, a protester or whatever, you know, so um, this is the discussion. This is a conversation that needs to occur beforehand. So everybody's on the same page. Well, I, and I don't know if it's happening or not. No, I no, we're being dictated to, but I like a conversation. I remember the uh, police chief in uh, Rockville when I was uh, running, you know, the Sentinel newspapers actually sat down and asked me that and said, hey, how, how help us. And I helped him develop guidelines to how to deal with the media in, in public situations. I don't see a lot of that today. I see a lot of the government just trying to dictate to reporters how what we're going to do, how we're going to do it, and that rankles people as it would, you know, you. If somebody said, "All right, you're a you're a copy of the chief of police. You can't arrest somebody because I don't want you to," even if they, you know, broke the law, that would kind of rankle you a little bit. I would think. Um, yeah, you know, you're right, and and, and you know, you look. Everybody, you know, especially, I mean, you, you've been doing this a long time. You go there. Yeah, I'm an old what, fart. <laughs> you have a basic understanding of what you can do, what you can't do. Right. And then somebody starts, you know, saying, no, nah, you can't do that. Say, well, yeah, you know, I think I can. 
this is the, the issue. And what I, you know, my advice to people is whether they're stopped, you know, for a traffic violation or, you know, whatever, it's like, okay, look, just, you know, understand that that's not the place to, you know, um, the place to, to argue it is, is later Before on or later, right. Yeah, but, but, you know, not that, during. You know, at, look, you can have a conversation, but at some point you got to say, okay, this is going nowhere. So I, we can either it, you know, and, and make it an arrest situation or, or whatever, or I can fight my battle at a different time. Now that, that can be very tough for, for, and, well, and, and again, you know, having worked with you over the years, I'm, I'm, you're not a guy that likes to back down uh, on anything. <laughs> and so, um, you know, so I know no. that, that would not come natural for you, but at some point, sometimes you think, okay, well, okay, you know, am I going to escalate this? Or not? So these incidents where you've had these uh, things happen with, with members of the media. And then the other thing I would say, Brian, and I, and, and look, I, you know, I, I um, have the greatest respect for the media and like cops, there's there's people that know what they're doing and are good at it and are are, are yeah. good at what they do and and there are people that aren't so good. So you know we every profession has that spectrum. But um, you know today who isn't a member of the media? Everybody you know well, has got you know. Uh, um, that's you, you, know, you make a valid point. Rooting for something. So, so that's a valid you know, point. But here's the counterpoint to that is if we can have that conversation right uh, on on the front lines. At no point in time, it seems to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, at no point in time, even if you're going into arrest me and say, Brian, you stepped off here, you should, fine, I'll fight that battle in court if I feel that uh, that I have a right to be there and you tell me I don't, I accept that you're going to arrest me, but beating me with clubs and, and, and peppering me with spray, that that to me is where I think you can't you can't go there. I, I I think that's the the line for police is if you're gonna if you're gonna arrest me and say Brian yeah you're where you shouldn't be I'll submit you can arrest me we'll fight it in court but why would you club me and spray me with gas that's where I you think that's not right you cannot you cannot use any force unless it's justified and and when I say justified there it, it's got to be lawful. It's got to be, you know, in in uh, in conjunction with what you're trained to do, um, you know, and uh, and it's got to be reasonable. Uh, you, and so, you know, if if um, uh, you know, if I tell you to leave, and I just don't think you're you're leaving fast enough, you know, I can't use right. force to to make you walk faster or whatever. I mean, you know, it, it's just, and these are the kinds of things that, um, again, the people that we put on the front lines of these protests. You should see the training they go through. I mean, we. Well, I'm impressed. I I am impressed. In fact, I'll be honest with you. At at, at the protests in D.C., protests I covered in, and and I've covered, like you said, I'm an old fart, so I've covered a lot of them. Uh, Baltimore, I was in, you know, uh, Ferguson, and then on back to busing riots in the 70s in, in my hometown. What I saw of the local police recently in dc i was impressed with because i they took a verbal abuse hell sometimes people were throwing water bottles at them but they stood there and they and i could talk to them i mean i i sat there and said hey you know i could talk to them and they were nice to me and i was and in fact they were uh they were surprised that someone would engage them in a conversation that wasn't confrontational uh and they were happy to do it they're just people doing their job I, again and i understand and get that and and part of me, Tom, I'll be honest with you, I saw, like I told you before we started, I, I saw a kid I coached in football there. So, you know, to me, it's like now it's it's not only are they not my, they're, they're like my kids. <laughs> I'm looking out there and going, these are a bunch of damn kids. I, I feel bad for them. You know, they're 25 to 30 years old. They're this, this their first rodeo. This is not our first rodeo. We've kind of been around a little bit. And I, I admire and appreciate the the constraint and, and and the respect that they showed us where i draw the line is where and, and where, when you gas me and start beating me for no reason and that you know that's that brings out the ire in many people because it's unjustified right and and this is where um a police chief uh a mayor you know uh, the, that's where they have to to answer to okay why why was that done and um, you know, and, and that's why that did I, I have I have great confidence in in uh, so many of the mayors around the country because they know this is their community. 
and and you know they got a uh, they're going to be working in that community tomorrow and the next day and the next day. You know, it's not somebody coming in and say, okay, you know, I'm, you know, I'm going to be a tough guy and then leaving. You know, um, right. I mean, it's easy for somebody who doesn't, who, you know, is is not invested in that community, to, you know, make decisions that that you know uh, they don't have to live with after after it's done. So, you know, police chiefs need to be able to explain why tear gas was deployed. Um, you know why uh, any force was used. Um, it, it, that that's that's on them to to uh, to be held accountable for those kinds of actions. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Hi, and we're back. It's just asked the question. I am your host, Brian Kerman. With us today is former police chief of Montgomery County, Fairfax County, and boy, Tom, I'm gonna, I know I'm going to get this wrong again, past president of the Major Cities Police Chiefs Association, correct? That's yeah. correct, yes. And so what did you do for that? So um, Major Cities Chiefs Association is an association of the largest 70 police departments in the United States and Canada. Um, you know, from New York to Los Angeles, Chicago, Houston, Detroit, um, and Montgomery County, in fact, is one of the largest police departments in the United States. So uh, I've been a, a very active with that organization for many years and then um, uh, was elected uh, twice to be the president. Um, and uh, so you're representing large urban police departments uh, from all over the country. And I spent a lot of time on Capitol Hill. I spent a lot of time at the White House, um, both with the Bush, uh, Obama, and uh, a, a short time with the Trump administration before I retired. And um, uh, you, you, you're, you're trying to influence policing in the right direction. Uh, having any luck with that with the current administration? <laughs> your, your current president has been very dismiss- dismissive of the president. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and uh, yeah, uh, Art Acevedo, who's the police chief in Houston, Texas, has been very outspoken, especially recently, about um, some of the things that the president has said and done that have not, frankly, not been helpful. Um, and uh, you know, I, it's it's interesting. I, I um, right after um, the president was elected, I was still the president of the Major City Chiefs, and he came and spoke at one of our um, conferences, and, and um, I got a chance to meet him just for literally thirty seconds. And um, he said to me, he says, "How's it feel to have a friend in the White House?" Well, I'd worked for the past eight years with the Obama administration, and frankly, felt like. Uh, the you know President Obama and, and Vice President Biden were great friends to have you know f- uh, in terms of policing they were very supportive of the work that we were doing so um, I, I you know I didn't know how to respond to that man I didn't want to be rude but I, and I wish I had to do over again because what I would I just looked I would have looked him in the eye and said I've had a friend in the White House for you know many years but um, you know I I didn't know how to respond you know but this is this is just sort of you know, I, I think he thought that he was going to be, you know, uh, policing's best friend. And what he did recently certainly did not help things. And, and by the way, you mentioned that um, uh, the statement that he made about, you know, uh, when you arrest somebody, you know, don't worry about, you know, being uh, too you know, friendly, uh, being too gentle. And, you know, uh, you, you probably recall that I wrote a very pointed letter uh, to the editor or an op-ed piece in The Washington Post um, about what he said and how difficult um, uh, and how harmful what he said was to, to police all over this country. Yeah, there's, um, I, and a lot of police that I've talked to say, you know, you didn't help us out. You pretend to be a friend of, of policing, but you're really just being a friend of the bully. And that's what we don't want in policing. Well said. <laughs> is that fair? <laughs> I think it is. I mean, uh, you know, th- these intimidation, tough talk techniques uh, you don't hear you don't hear uh, police chiefs talking like that. At least the ones that I worked with, you, you don't hear them talking like that. And there's a reason why. It's a community <laughs> uh, policing made professional. And if you those who know the history, Teddy Roosevelt had a lot to do with the making it more of a professional um, uh, environment for police and, and accountable to the community. And if you're going to engage in community policing, I don't think it ever behooves anyone to just walk in and threaten people, does it? You don't accomplish much doing that. What's the best way to do it? Moving forward, if you had your druthers 
and you could say, look, here's a blueprint for what we should do moving forward. What would it be? So I think that um, you've got to uh, engage in long-term, serious, in-depth conversations uh, with um, the, the folks in the community that don't trust or like the police. You, you know, you can't just go to places where people like you. I mean, it's, it was great to go to the, you know, the senior citizens uh, groups, you know, up at Leisure World and, and speak with, you know, 30 people there because they all love the police. And, and um, but you've got to have those uh, difficult conversations with the folks that that in many ways um, uh, need us the most. Yes. But, but trust us the least. And so it's got to be a concerted effort. And it can't just be the chief that's going out there and doing it. Every cop, every single cop has to understand that, you know what, every day we go out there, we got to build trust. And, and when, when the entire organization, I go back to, to what's the culture of the organization, when the entire organization is working to do this, I think it, you know, it, it may be a years-long process, but it's gonna, you're going to start moving things in the right direction and you're going to get and, and plus you've got to put a continue to put in accountability measures so that if when things do go bad when you do have a cop that does something wrong that people actually are confident that um that the right thing's going to happen and when those things occur i think you, you start to get people to believe that you know what the system's not rigged against me this 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 is, i actually you know the system looks out for everybody including me I think it starts with finding good police officers, too. I'll, I'll end with this story of a guy that I, to the, to this day, was, I, I just marvel at him. And his name was uh, Harold Schatz. Red-haired, uh, white guy, worked on in San Antonio on the city's east side, which was notoriously, I mean, it was mostly African-American. The west side was mostly Hispanic. The east side was mostly African-American. And he worked on the east side. And he was, we were at a bodega one day, just sitting there talking and a guy walked out and pointed his finger like the, there's a guy inside with a gun. And so I'm sitting there with my cameraman and I'm thinking, oh my God, here we go. This is going to be something horrible. Harold stuck his head in the bodega and there was a guy with a gun and he was pointing it at the, at the guy behind the counter. Harold was such great community police officer. He knew everybody there and he knew the guy with a gun and he looked at him and I I think the guy's name was Tim or something. He said, Tim, what are you doing pointing a gun at the guy? And he says, you want me to shoot you? Do you really want me to go through all the paperwork? And the guy goes, well, he he he, he, he took 25 cents from me. I was supposed to get a quarter back on my, on my soda and he didn't give it to me, <laughs> officer, sir. And he said, you really want me to shoot you over a quarter? Put the gun down, I'll give you the quarter. And the guy put the gun down and gave him a quarter and he walked away. And I was going... There was a guy who diffused what could have potentially been a very bad situation. Nobody got arrested. Nobody, and everyone around that area respected him because he was a good, decent human being. Didn't matter color. Didn't matter what, what socioeconomic status. That, that was a guy who respected the people who lived there and they respected him. And I, I will remember him to the day I die. Just one of the most down-to-earth people I'd ever met is policing. And I wish there were more people like him policing today. And I think so, that's where so you got to start. If I could just react to that story, that's a great story. And, and um, you know, and, and stories like that occur around the country probably every day where you've yes. got good cops that are able to defuse what could be bad situations. But the one thing I've learned um, over 40, year, 40 years of being a cop is that we, the police, cannot always control how yes. something ends. Uh, that that you know now to the extent that we can let's not let's not let's let's the police let the police not be the ones that create the moment where deadly force has to be used or or, or right. whatever. But um, but in fact, we can't always control how something ends. No, and so there's still going to be tragic incidents. There's still going to be you know people second guessing police. You know about well, why didn't they do this and why didn't they do that. You know, um, you, you can do, do the best job, the perfect job, you know, uh, you know, in terms of what you're saying to people, all this sort of thing. But sometimes it's still end up bad because the yeah. you're dealing with is going to do something. So um, so but if if every cop, you know, can can approach a situation like like the police officer you just described, where the last thing in the world they want to do is, 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 you know, have some tragic incident occur. 
and and clearly he had the confidence to believe that yeah. he could he could handle that and and good cops do have that confidence that they, they walk into a situation most times thinking okay i'm going to be able to control this because i've got the training i've got the experience and i'm going to be able to to resolve this and, and resolve things peacefully and make things better yeah i yeah i've seen it the other way too i i covered a there was a guy that had been picked up many times uh was a low-level drug dealer and um uh all oftentimes just went along you know they would bust him and this is in san antonio as well and they would bust him and he would go in and get out and then one day he was wired to the gills and decided he wasn't going to and he unloaded on a police officer who came to arrest him um and that police officer was wearing a kevlar vest with a metal insert and uh took a one ounce uh, shotgun slug to the chest and survived. The guy who fired the uh, weapon on him didn't fare so well. <laughs> that was, that was, and that ended up in a deadly situation. You're right, you can't always, particularly if there are drugs involved, you can never tell how someone's going to react. But the thing I marvel about are those who know their community well enough, they know the actors involved and can react with them based on mutual respect. And that's, I, I don't think it, it ever goes wrong if you try to develop that type of knowledge of your own, you know, like you say, community policing and know that how that works. Right. So listen, Tom, I thank you for being here. Uh, I, I, I could carry on this conversation all day long. Uh, uh, hopefully I could have you back sometime and we'll talk again. Is it possible? Anytime. Yeah, all absolutely. Right. Uh, well, Tom, thank thank you very much. The, the name of the show is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. Please stick around and join us next time.